Amen. How's everybody doing this evening? Good. Um, that is one of the ways that I can tell how responsive of a crowd I have, you know. Because I don't think y'all know sometimes if a preacher is used to a responsive crowd and he gets to a quiet crowd, he's dying up here. He's like, well, God, this is the last sermon I'm ever preach. I've failed you, you know. So if the Lord um, inspires you to say amen or mmm or whatever, just that would be good. My name is Tripp. I'm excited to be here with y'all tonight. I'm a rapper and um, a preacher, and I'm excited to preach God's word for you tonight. Um, thank you to, to the team for, for leading in worship. This is my first time here, so I'm excited to be here with you. And um, yeah, excited that it gets to be during this this missions week, and I'm praying we can um, enjoy God's word together. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we can get into God's word. Father, we thank you again for your word. Father, and we thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. And God, we pray you would speak to us now. As my brother just prayed, we desperately need you to speak. We pray that your spirit would work in us, Father. We pray you would um, help me to preach with boldness and truthfulness and clarity, God. We pray that this wouldn't just be me up here running my mouth, but that you would grab a hold of our hearts and show us what you've already said. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the text that they've given me is in 3 John. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 3 John. I'm going to go ahead and read that text now. 3 John. This is one of those rare books of the Bible where there's only one chapter. It is a short letter. Third John, and I think as we see this, we'll, we'll get a little bit of a picture of what it means to, to walk in the truth, what it means to really live with God's commission in mind. This, this is God's word. It says, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. If I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. We'll stop there. That is the word of God. I wonder if any of you have ever realized or noticed that competition can ruin everything. 
Something could be good and helpful, and then when it gets competitive, it can go south. Many of us might notice if we like, oh, how about some fellowship, and you invite some people over for Monopoly. (laughs) I have a best friend who's one of the most gentle, kind people I've ever met. And I'm like, bro, why are you about to box over Park Place? Competition can ruin anything. Competition is great, though, when the goal is winning. So if you're playing a pickup basketball game or a board game, sometimes it's fine, though it can go south with that. But um, in other contexts, competition can really just distract you from what the real goal of a situation is. I see this with my kids. Um, I, have, I have three kids, and one of the things that they have a miraculous ability to do is turn anything into a competition. Who ate their dinner the fastest? Who ran upstairs for nap time quicker? If somebody else is in trouble, they like, just so you know, Daddy, I didn't do that. Didn't nobody ask you, go to bed. <laughs> or even another example that's, that we feel all the time is comparison. A little bit of competition. Comparing ourselves to others never helps. We create these little tournaments in our head where we're trying to see who's winning. Um, and the only thing that really produces is either pride or insecurity. Competition poisons everything. It's this cancer that gets in our heart and spreads to every part of our life and can kill off love. And here's why I say it can kill off love. Um, Because if love is being committed to the good of other people, how can you be committed to the good of somebody else if your main goal is to beat them at something? There's something about competition that is at odds with love. But I wonder if you've realized that all of us are very natural competitors. We are naturally self-interested, can be conceited, and we want to be first. We want to win stuff that's not even a competition. Here's an example, driving. It can be some time when you're driving down the road, minding your business. What happens? That person behind you, they pull over to the right and they start to pass you. You're like, oh, this is what we doing? (laughs) Or was I going too slow for you? And then all of a sudden in your mind, because you feel like you feel offended, and they go to pass you, and you just slightly step on your gas just a little bit. (laughs) You don't want them to know what you're doing. You just want to make sure, and you speed up just enough so that they can't pass you. And then you give them that look when you drive past. (laughs) And they got to get back behind you. And then you spend the next seven, eight minutes driving like a NASCAR driver for no reason, for somebody you will never see ever again in your life. We are very competitive by nature. We like to be first. Um, And what that means is um, competition makes things messy for community, but community is exactly the way that God has called us to live for him, in community. When you look at it on paper, the local church sounds like it could be a disaster, a bunch of sinners who are still sinners, who can be self-interested, who will always be tempted to compete with each other instead of care for each other. Same could be said for a family. That sounds like it could be very dysfunctional, but the reason that we uh, can turn things into competition is because we are very self-interested. We want to be in first place. If for any reason we don't seem like we're first It can bother us. So we clearly need an alternative way of competition, even though it feels natural to us, gets in the way of love and is at odds with love. We need to know what is it that God is calling us to instead of that so that we can live as the loving family that Jesus has called us to be. How can we walk in the truth 
and walk in love. And I think this is part of what we see in the book of 3 John. Now, 3 John, even though it's very short, it's a book that people don't really know that much about. It's one of those forgotten books that people don't even know is there. Like 1 and 2 Thessalonians, people think, that sounds weird. Not going to read that, and they just drove over Some of these little short epistles, people forget about us. It's a letter that the Apostle John, um, who was one of Jesus' good friends, he was in the inner circle. He also wrote the Gospel of John, wrote Revelation. And this book, 3 John, is unique because he's writing it not uh, to a whole church, but to one individual, a friend, a leader in the church. He's talking about some issues in the church. And one of the things we get to see in this letter is it's helpful for us because he's talking about community life. He's talking about following Jesus. He's talking about walking in the truth. And I think what we see is some of, the, some of what happens when the great commission of Jesus, um, that we want to teach people to see this Jesus, to obey this Jesus in all the globe, What happens when that great commission grabs a hold of our lives? And we'll see the example of three men with interesting names. I bet you don't know nobody named Gaius, Diotrephes, maybe Demetrius. You might know a black Demetrius. But as we listen, I should stick to my manuscript. As we listen, we'll get to think through who among those people is the kind of example that we'd like to follow. So first, we're going to look at the example of of Gaius, and and I think that what we see in this, this passage, if, if you take away thing, I think part of what it's showing us is that walking in truth means caring, not competing. If we're going to walk in the truth with other people, it means caring for one another, not competing with each other. You know, he says, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, that's verse one, verse two, dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way, are, are, are in good health in your whole life is going well, right? He's wishing, praying good things for him. He says, I was very glad when fellow believers came, testified to your fidelity in the truth, how you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The apostle John clearly loves his brother in the Lord. He's happy to hear that he's doing well. One of the things scripture talks about in ways we're supposed, there are a lot of one another commands in scripture. One of the things scripture tells us to do is to rejoice with one another. Um, the Apostle John is saying, I am excited to see you doing well, like, like Paul would do in, in 1 Thessalonians, rejoicing. He sounds like a spiritual father. He says, your prospering in Jesus brings me joy. Often when we see good things in the lives of other people, instead of joy that it sparks in us, what it sparks is a sense of competition. What it sparks is a jealousy. But John says, It's his greatest joy to hear that he's walking in the truth because the truth of God is not just something to be agreed on or recited. The truth is something to be walked in. When we say the truth, what he's talking about, we don't just mean facts. We mean gospel truth. And more than any other kind of truth, gospel truth makes demands on our lives. Two plus two equals four, that is a true statement, but that truth doesn't make drastic demands on your life. The facts of the gospel do. And sometimes we can, truth the tr- uh, we can treat the truth like it's our favorite song, where we like to listen to it. We enjoy it. It makes us happy. We may want to gather around it with other people at a concert or a service, but it cannot stop there. The truth of God is not your favorite song to be enjoyed and turned on and off and you move on with your life afterwards. There's certain kinds of facts that do not make big demands on our life. I remember, you know, sometimes I'll be looking at the news. I remember um, looking at the news uh, several years ago and seeing that people were wasting tens of hours 
playing Pokemon Go and crashing their cars. And I thought, that's interesting news. It means nothing for my life. I'm regular. <laughs> the gospel is not the kind of news that you hear and you move on with the rest of your life. If someone were to say, there is a fire behind the stage, the gospel is the kind, that, that's the kind of news that would make me want to do something with my life. The gospel is the kind of news that makes you do something different. Listening to the truth is more like God's truth, more like listening to instructions. You are listening in order to respond. And that's not a perfect analogy, but what I'm trying to say, the truth of God is to be walked in, not just heard or celebrated. The point of hearing the truth is to celebrate and to point out that it's good, but also to walk in that truth. So what does it look like to walk in the truth? It, part of what it looks like is caring for each other, not competing with each other. Y'all with me? So he talks about hospitality here. I want to know what comes to your mind when you hear the word hospitality. You know, maybe some of us uh, think greeting people at the door when you visit a church, maybe you think of inviting your best friends over your house or cooking for guests. The word hospitality in the New Testament literally means love of strangers, which is a strange concept. To love a stranger sounds like a contradiction. How could you love somebody if they're a stranger? How can you have affection for somebody you don't know? Also, what about stranger danger? Was that fake? God, God calls his people to love strangers all the time, though. Right, um, Romans 12, 13, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, that love of strangers. The first Timothy three, he's talking about if anybody's gonna be a leader in your church, an elder in your church, a pastor in your church, he says, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He's saying he puts being hospitable in the same list as not being drunk and a greedy thief. Being a lover of strangers, this hospitality he's talking about is a mark that God's gospel has been at work in your heart. And that's one of the unique things about Christianity, about what it means to follow Jesus. We are not just called to love people that we have a prior connection to. We're not just called to love family members or people we have a few things in common with or those who are lovable. We are called to love all, even our enemies. But when you look in the New Testament, even especially brothers and sisters who are also followers of Jesus, and even if they are strangers. So listen to what John says about Gaius, um, the way, you know, he's this picture of what caring looks like. He says, verse 5, you're acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they're strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. What he's pointing to with Gaius, a great example is the posture of somebody who walks in the truth, caring for brothers and sisters in Jesus. Instead of just being self-interested or just looking for ways to be served, he's found ways to serve them. Now, what it looks like is that there are some uh, traveling ministers who go around preaching the gospel that have come to a particular church, and Gaius took care of them and he supported them. He didn't know these people. Right? He took such good care of them that they testified to his love in, a, in, a, in front of a group of some other Christians. It's some kind of Wednesday night pr prayer. They got up and they was like, man, guy is clearly saved. He brought us muffins. We ain't even asked for muffins. 
Gaius took care of us. We left with a whole little fruit basket, gave me a mug with the logo of the church on it, everything. He gave me a whole, you know, this ain't Gaius. The, the, the truth is definitely in him because he took care of us, even though we were strangers. I remember years ago, I got invited to do a concert in the Cayman Islands, right? So I go to do that. I'm like, I'm about to take my wife. We went. It was like free, uh, concert, uh, free vacation in the Cayman Islands. I was like, see, when you get with me, girl, this kind of thing's happening uh, for Christ. But, you know, um, anyway, we... <laughs> We go to the Cayman Islands, and I realize there's this, there's a pastor who's who's not from the Cayman Islands, but who's over there. Who I had, you know heard heard some of his messages, and I was like, hey, I don't know, you don't know me, but you know I, I respect some of your work, so maybe, you know. And let me tell you what happens um, when we get there. He treats me like I'm family that he's known for 30 years. Welcomes us into his home, has a meal with us, introduces me to his family. I get to go meet members at a church, and I'm taken care of like I've known him forever, and I leave being like, why do I feel like I've known you for years? And let me tell you, the reason he treated me that way, there was nothing in particular about me. He didn't know anything about me other than he knew that we were fellow travelers in the truth of the gospel. And because he said, oh, wait, Um, Because you are also someone who loves the gospel and is trying to spread this gospel, we are brothers and sisters. There's a bond that is even deeper than a familial blood bond between us. And he was a great example of us and, and showed us that great affection. They knew that walking in the truth meant caring for us. Here's a question I have for you. If you're in this room and you are a believer, do you like other Christians? I don't mean, can you think of a Christian you like? I mean, do you love other Christians? When you think of Christians at large, what comes to mind? Is it affection or just annoyance? If not, if if there's no affection that comes, we we should ask ourselves some questions. Because a lot of us, even those of us who are Christians, if we're honest, don't like Christians that much. If, if, if you're with a friend who doesn't know Jesus and they bring up Christians and you're like, I know they're the worst, right? Um, I know, I'm one of the good ones. Don't worry about them. <laughs> we have some questions to ask ourselves. Um, I know that sometimes the believers who um, get the most attention are those who are the loudest, the most foolish, who look the least like Jesus and who say things that sound the least like Jesus. That does not take away the way that the New Testament calls us to interact with other believers in Jesus. Some of us love to be the one who gets to sit in the corner and point at the way that Christians are never doing what they're supposed to be, and that's why I don't be with other Christians, where if we said, how about I do be with other Christians and we can pursue Jesus together? Sometimes we are not good at being lovers of strangers and lovers of brothers and sisters in Jesus. Because our affection for brothers and sisters in Jesus really isn't there. Other thing. Are you passionate enough? Right, because one of the things he says is um, that that, uh, those people who were in town, right, um, that they were out there for the sake of the name, for the glory of Jesus, for the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Are you passionate enough about the good news of Jesus reaching other people that your heart leaps and gets excited when you hear that there are people doing something about it reaching other people? Let me tell you, there's some stuff that I like that not everybody likes. I can be a nerd about some things. If somebody has read a book that I like, 
And I'm like, oh, you read that, bro? Or if I meet somebody who's a Mavericks fan, I'm like, that Luca nice, ain't he? And there's something in you that gets excited because you're like, no, 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 we share something. And, and your heart leaps. You're excited to talk about that thing. I'm one of those people where if I like something, I try to convince everybody. I'm like, but you didn't listen to the bars, bro. <laughs> no, nope, nope. In the second verse, he started it out by, you know, I'm trying to bring other people along to it. My heart gets excited. And sometimes I ask myself, does my heart leap for the gospel of Jesus like it used to? Is it still the most exciting thing about my day to see that the gospel is still at work and that Jesus saved somebody else the way he saved me and that there are other people who want other people to meet Jesus? Let me tell you, one of my favorite things in the world is to hear somebody who just met Jesus talk about the Lord saving them. And it's in part because we make it so difficult. Um, And the longer we've known Jesus, sometimes we... We drift a little bit from the reminder that God is still saving people by his love and his grace and kindness, Um, and that the gospel is really big and powerful. And there are Muslims who hear the gospel of Jesus and trust in Jesus. And there are people who grew up in a Christian family but hated all the Christians they ever met who hear the true gospel of Jesus and trust in Jesus. And, and, um, well... One of the things I think we see in this passage is that Gaius is an example of someone who's so excited about the gospel of Jesus that his heart feels very close to others who know this gospel of Jesus and who want other people to know it. There's an automatic posture of love and support because they're ministers of the gospel. They were going out for the sake of the name. And one of the reasons we can love strangers who are brothers and sisters is we have a common purpose and goal. And so sometimes we don't have that affection because we're not excited about the gospel going forward. Sometimes we only care about the stuff that we care about in our lives. This is where that competition comes in sometimes. Maybe there's only one particular um, injustice issue that we care about. Or maybe there's we just care about people who are kind of in our sphere. We should be excited about the gospel going forth. One of the ways we do this, and I know we're young, some of us might even be in college, and you know, don't nobody have money while they're in college, but one of the applications of this is, one of the amazing things that happen when Christians come together in a community is we pool our money together to do things with it to get the gospel to other people. I was telling some people earlier about how I was one of the pastors who helped plant a church somewhere else in Atlanta. And when you first plant a church, and you're trying to reach your neighborhood, you don't have enough people in that church um, to keep it going financially. The, the way that it was able to happen and we were able to you know, turn lights on in a building or just rent a building, and let me tell you, that building we was renting wasn't nice. The only reason that was able to happen is because other Christians said, I'm so excited about the gospel going forth. There's some of the money we've pulled together we want to use for the gospel to go forth. But, but giving is just one example because I think what happens is we think, oh, there are those missionary people out there who go and they do like hard missionary stuff. I'm one of them regular people who just be here. But what I think the New Testament shows us is that if we are really the Jesus people, the, the people who know Jesus and are concerned with what Jesus calls us to be concerned about, then we should be thinking about the gospel going to other places. It should be one of the things that we pray about. It should be one of the ways that we think through what our life looks like. It should be one of the ways we think about our finances. It should be one of the ways we support other people. Do you know, um, people who are missionaries, you know, they'll send out updates. You can just get those updates and pray and say, I prayed for you. 
People are out of sight, out of mind. It's, there are ways that we can care for others to be excited about the gospel going forward. Not just that, though. I wonder if the gospel going forward has anything to do with how you think about your life and your work. Because here's what we'll think sometimes. We'll think, yes, God has called me to love my neighbor, you know, for the great commission to matter to me to help the gospel go forth. As long as it doesn't harm what I really want to do with my career. Like, oh, no, I know, I know I should, you know, be helping the gospel to go forth, but, you know, my job, I'm very busy with my job. Um, and I think um, one of the things that happens is we don't care about the gospel enough to think about it on the front end and how we choose our job and how we spend our time. Um, some of us would much rather have a job where we make a gajillion dollars and have no time to ever say the word Jesus ever again, as opposed to having a different job where our needs are met and we're provided for and we're able to build our life in a way where we can grow in Jesus and help other people to meet him. I remember in D.C., and there was a lot of lawyers when I lived there. And it was a dude who was like, yeah, bro, I'm trying to move up. I'm trying to make partner. And if I'm really going to make partner, I can't see my family for nine years. So it is what it is. So I'm praying God will give me strength. I'm like... I'm not God, but I, he, I don't think he's going to answer that prayer, bro. <laughs> but there's an assumption, though, about the way that we build our life and how we try to squeeze Jesus and gospel concerns into the margins. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't be ambitious. I am a very ambitious person. What I'm saying is we want even our ambition to be shaped by the gospel. Even if you do have some demanding job, my prayer is that the gospel shapes how you think about how you are at your demanding job. We often think about careers, social life, all of that around um, yeah, finances, the goals we've had forever, all the pressure your college guidance counselor put on you to do some big things. And I'm just saying, the gospel should not be an afterthought in how we organize our life. And sometimes, maybe it would be worth it to move up in a company more slowly if you look more like Jesus. Um, and you have the opportunity to, to, to be a faithful witness where you are. Y'all following me? Walking in the truth means caring, not competing. It means that all of our priorities are reoriented around this gospel. So that, that's the first example. The second, the second, my first point is always way too long, so don't get afraid, but we have two more examples here. <laughs> Diatrophies, right? So he brings up diatrophies, another example. I wrote something to the church, but diatrophies, who love to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why. If I come, I'll remind him of the works he's doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he's not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, he even stops those who want to and expels them from the church. Diatrophies, not a good example. And, th and there are a lot of things that can char uh, you know, cause strife in a community. Pride is one of them. That seems to be the thing that has poisoned his posture toward God's people. He's probably a well-known member of the church, maybe one of the leaders, and he's causing issues because of pride and disobedience. Um, and so word it got back to John. So you know, some of, let's run down some of his issues. Verse 9, he doesn't receive their authority. Right? He's rejecting the authority of the apostles. Verse 10, he's slandering them with malicious words. He's tearing them down. Verse 10, he refuses to welcome fellow believers. Um, 
right? He's treating family and God like strangers instead of treating those strangers like family. Verse 10, he stops others. He's like, not only am I not going to welcome you, he's like, bro, stop saying hi to him. Stop trying to dab him up. Don't welcome them, right? He's turning it into this closed door thing. You ever know somebody who like love their friends so much, they like, why are you talking to my friends so long? <laughs> that happens when we begin to compete instead of care for one another. Verse 10, he expels others who want to be hospitable. All of this is from his desire to be first. He wants to be most important. He wants to be primary. He wants to be the priority. And this is why um, this is the driving force behind so many of the things that we do in our lives. We want to be first. We want to be the priority. We're thinking about ourselves. Philippians 2.3. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. More important than yourselves. How often are you thinking about what other people need before you think about what you need? This is what God has called us to. And there's another sneaky way that we do to self-interest, maybe not being as um, blatant as Diotrephes was. Dio, I like to call him. There's a kind of sneaky self-interest where um, the reason we're not caring for others or the reason we're not thinking about how to get the gospel forward or supporting other people with taking the gospel elsewhere is just because we got a lot going on. And we always have a lot going on. Um, my encouragement to you is you always going to have a lot going on. I remember like talking to an older man and like, man, it's just in this season of my life, you know, I'm about to get married and about to, he's like, bro, this is the clearest your to-do list is ever going to be. And I was like, man, you don't know my life. He was extremely right. <laughs> you know, sometimes we'll always think, no, but when I get to this point, then I can begin to be faithful in this way. When I make a little more money, then I can faithfully give. When, when I make it to this point uh, in the company or when I, when I get to this stage at school, then I'll be freed up to begin to be a little bit more faithful. And, and just being distracted by all the things that we have to do can keep us from making gospel things our priority. I, I think um, it would be a good thing to sit down and think about what kind of obstacles are in the way of making God's priorities my priority. And then what does it look like for me to remove some of those things? What does it look like for me to organize my life in a different way? I know some of us, when I say some of us, I mean myself, would have so much more time in my life if I wasted less of it doing this. And I know that's a cliche thing to say. I took a fast in January from all social media. I'm like, damn, I got all kind of time. I was like, dang, I even got time to think and reflect on life. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but there are so many ways that we throw our time away. We should think about what are, what are some of the things that are in the way. For Diotrephes here, he saw these strangers as a threat, and so he refused to care for them. That, that's a blatant way that we do it, but there are sneaky ways that we do it too. Turn everything into to competition. Uh, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. When we are competing, every good thing around us becomes something that can keep us from what we're really after. But instead, if we're thinking of the good of all those people around us who we want to know Jesus, who we want to grow in Jesus, who we want to rejoice with, 
then we can turn that competition thing off and care for each other. Here's what Paul says again about imitation. He brings up one more person. He says in verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself, and we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. He points to those other two examples of Gaius and Diotrephes, not as just a difference between caring and competition, but also the difference between good and evil. It is good to care and to love and to want the gospel to go forth and to welcome, and it is evil to be so self-interested that the only thing you're thinking about is what makes you look good because you just want to be first. He doesn't say don't imitate anybody. He says here's who you should imitate. Figure out who looks like Jesus and copy them. Here's an encouragement for you. Like um, One of the ways that we can help ourselves have better instincts about caring for people instead of competing is to spend our time with people who want to look like Jesus. You ever notice when you spend a lot of time with your friends who are negative all the time, who are toxic in how their relationships look? who can only find the bad in every situation. And that begins to be a little bit of your perspective. I remember being with a friend who would always tell people about Jesus. I mean, to the point where it's like, bro, can I order this Subway sandwich? <laughs> let, him, let him put the oregano on first before you distract him. He's not going to know. And one of the things, the people that we're around, that, that's who we compare ourselves to sometimes. That's sometimes where we get challenged, where it's like, man, I understand that all of us are different, but I wish I had a passion to tell people about Jesus like he does. Oh, man, that was incredible the way he responded when that dude talked crazy to him. I, I want to be more gracious like that. I want to encourage you to think about the people you're spending time with because that rubs off on us. The reason that we begin to be these lovers of strangers and caring for people has to do with how we've been treated by Jesus. And so sometimes people think there's no way any Christians could really be like that. When Christians are like that, they're being fake. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you're not really sure where you are with Jesus, I want you to know that I'm not encouraging a bunch of people in this room to be fake so that people will come to Jesus so we seem super nice all the time. I'm saying the reality of what Jesus has already done for us, if we really believe in that reality, that shakes the way that we believe, I mean, the way that we interact with other people. This is what it says in Romans 15:7. It says, therefore, Accept one another just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. First Peter, Peter says, look, you Gentiles, you once were far off from God without hope in the world, but now you've been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. Scripture says we were enemies of God, working against him, sinning against him. Romans says people don't even die for good people. God showed his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What happens for us as believers is, as God says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And over and over and over again, as God is reminding us, this is what Jesus did for you. You were a stranger to Jesus. You were far from Jesus. You were disinterested in Jesus. And Jesus welcomed you near. Jesus loved you. Jesus called you in. We were the enemies. And he treated us like family. Here's what scripture says about what Jesus did that we sinned against him. We were separated from God. 
that we would be judged for our sins and apart from God forever. But Jesus, you know, usually when someone offends you, you say, well, I'm going to wait for them to come to me. That's not what Jesus did. We offended him. We separated ourselves from him. Jesus, in kindness and grace, came to earth and came to get us. And he said, not only that, I'm going to pay the price for what you did. I'm going to take your punishment on me. It's the beauty of the gospel. And Jesus dies on the cross, and he sheds his blood, and he pays for our sins. And he resurrects from the grave with all power. And he says, come on, walk in this glory with me. This is the beauty of the gospel. And what Jesus is calling us to is he's not calling us to anything that he hasn't already exhibited himself. Jesus says, welcome one another because God has already welcomed us who should have been left outside of the family, but Jesus welcomed us in. Walking in the truth means caring, not competing. And so one of the beauties of not having to compete with people instead of wanting to care for them and wanting to see the gospel go forward is this. Um, it's tiring competing with everybody around you. Isn't it tiring, like, you just not ever being happy for anybody? Like, why he get a raise? Like, man, he don't deserve that. I know I studied harder than him. I saw what he was doing. That's tiring. You know, it's a lot more freeing. Not seeing the success of anybody else fighting against your own. Or within the family of God, being so focused in on the one mission that you're like, we all in this together. Um, it is much more freeing and beautiful, and peaceful, and joyful to do things the way that God has called us to. There's beauty in that. There's, there's a freedom in that. And that's what happens when this gospel, this big gospel, reorients the way that we think about the world. My prayer is that you would think about your life and your relationships, your career, your school, your jobs, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, and in light of other people learning who Jesus is and learning what he's done. Amen. If, if you're here and you, you are wanting to know more about what Jesus has done, someone to pray for, someone to think about, um, they're going to tell you in a moment about some people who will be in the back to pray for you afterwards, but I'm going to pray right now. Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us in Jesus. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the example of, of Gaius. who loved those around him, cared for those around him, God, and we pray you would make us more like that. God, more than anything, we, say, we thank you for the example of Jesus, who laid his life down, who loved, who showed mercy, who showed grace. God, make us more like him. For my friends who are here and are still trying to figure out what they think about Jesus, God, I pray that they would not think of Jesus um, as a judgmental bully, Father, but instead as a lover of strangers. It's very graciously calling them in to himself. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.